Father, we thank you for your mercy and for the grace that you have been given to the church and unto us so that we are not lost, we are not without direction and without purpose in our pursuit of the divine. So I pray as we come into the church today, open our minds and put under the authority and the control of your Holy Spirit today, our minds, our thoughts, attention in your hand and in your control. I pray that the word that goes out today will permeate the fibers of our being, that we become effective instruments in your hands for such a time as this, Lord, as we live in a world that is increasingly hostile, diverging in its view and in its proclivities. And I pray that the church will be a foundation and a tower for those who seek refuge and find it in this place where your mercy and where your love, where your wisdom reign. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. Let's turn to the last book of the Bible and to the last chapter of that book in the Bible. And that is chapter 22 of the book of Revelation. To see what is the end of all this, what is the end of the commandments, what is the end of God's will for the church and for the Christian in particular. 13, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. God created a city, the one that we are no longer have access to. We no longer have the right to go into that city anymore. And that was Eden. In the middle of Eden, there was a tree. And we know of the other tree. We know of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But I want us to focus on the other tree, the tree that God wanted Adam to eat. And some commentator says that Adam fell before he ate of this tree. That was right after creation. Instead of eating from this tree, he ate from the other tree that was forbidden. And so he never tasted eternal life. In the end, the Bible brings us back to the beginning. So in the beginning was God's full thought of what he has purposed and ordained for us. And throughout the biblical narrative, we lost that divine purpose. And in the end, Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, gave us the conclusion, bringing us back to the original thesis, the original thought and purpose and design of God. And that is to have us eat from the tree. And this tree that is in the middle of the garden and would become the new city of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this tree is called the tree of life. God has created us to eat and live. And because God has designed us with our bodies, with our corporeal body, meaning we have flesh and blood, that's how God created us. And in the end, we will be flesh and blood. Although we'll be transformed, but you will have the body that you do now. So it is important that we keep that in mind because we will not be some kind of incorporeal, meaning bodiless. Eventually, in the end, we will have a body. This body will be turned into an eternal body, a glorified body. You will not be recreated. You will be reborn. The seed is not recreation of the fruit. The seed is or will become the fruit. The transformation process is the transformation of that seed back into the glory of the fruit. And when Jesus comes back, when you hear that trumpet sound and you look at yourself and you're still the same old self, if you were still alive, that is. 
then you know something went wrong while you live. And what went wrong was Jesus Christ did not know you. But when you hear that trumpet, when you hear the sound of the trumpet in the midst of the air, and then suddenly, in the twinkling of the eye, people look at you and you're transformed. You have a new glorified body. It's something that everyone can see. Then you know that Jesus knows you. The question is, do you know if Jesus knows you or not? Because unless Jesus knows you, that trumpet sound will not transform you. Genesis chapter 3, and look at this other tree, the tree that we should pay more attention to than the tree that was forbidden. Now the tree in verse 22, And the Lord said, Behold, the man is become as one of us, to know good and evil, and now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. I'm not going to go into the discussion of the theological meaning behind this. I want to, for us to look at this verse and realize this. If man, a created being, take of this tree, regardless in what state you are in, and eat of it, this is what happened to you. You will live forever. Let your mind think about that. You see, God's decree is perfect, and because it's perfect, it is eternal. When God created this tree of life, its purpose is to give life to whoever eats of it, regardless whether a saint or you are a sinner. When Adam and Eve ate from the tree that they were not supposed to eat, they transgressed God's law, and therefore they are now banished from the presence of this tree. However, if they could somehow get back to the garden, eat from the tree, according to the scripture here, they will live forever. That makes you think. We do have an opportunity to live forever, don't we? In our fallen state. First, it requires that you have to believe that there is this tree and that it is somewhere in a space where we can get access to. And secondly, you need to devote your life in finding it. If I tell you that there is this tree and it is the tree of life, there is no condition. This tree was decreed by God that whoever eats of it, regardless, irrespective of who you are and what you have done, if you pick from this tree, you eat it, you live forever. Does that sound good? So God decrees that, yes, man, if you can, find this tree and eat of this tree and you will live forever. End of story. Therefore, the Lord sent him forth, meaning kick him out, meaning banish him from the garden, him and his wife, to till the ground from whence he was taken. Send him back to the earth. And now, verse 24. So he drove out the man and placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. If you can find it, you can have it. If you can get to the tree, you can eat of it. Threw mankind out because he disobeyed God. The decree here is the banishment, not the judgment. This is the banishment. The judgment was already deemed. Now, if you can, just like a criminal in prison system, and if you are penitent, if you've shown good behavior by your own efforts, by your own works, you may get a reduced sentence, or you may get your sentence commuted, or you may get 
a pardon. In the same way, if you can find this tree, it's all yours. Eat it and live forever. There's another problem, and what is that problem? After God threw man out of the garden, He put there cherubim to definitively say that there's not just one angel, but there are a few angels. But look here, I'll give you, I'll give you some. For those of you who decide not to believe in Jesus Christ and try to go find this tree yourself, there is, however, ways for you to get in there. Look at the the verse here. He drove out the man and he placed at the east. Of the garden, how many sides are there? Directionally, four. So the cherubims are only at the east side. Hey, you can get in from the north or the south or the west. Or if you are valiant enough, you can go in the east and face the cherubims. To add on top of that, <clears throat> it says, "And a flaming sword, turning every which way." Okay, so not only. The angels are there. They have flaming swords. You want to eat from this tree of life? You go find the other entrances to go into the garden, or you go to the east, which have direct access to the tree, and fight the cherubims. Because the tree of life is indiscriminate, just like this virus, coronavirus, is indiscriminate. It doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, whether you're old or young, what ethnicity you are. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past, whether you live your whole life as a good person or a bad person. When it infects, it infects you and it makes your life unpleasant. The tree of life is indiscriminate. Anyone who eats of it will live forever. The only thing you need to do is fight the angels with flaming swords to get there, pick up the fruit of the tree, and eat it and live forever. The tree of life gives life, not just any kind of life. The tree of life gives eternal life to those who eat it. Any kind of food you eat right now will give you death and more death and disease. The more food you eat, the faster you will get to that day of dying. But the fruit of the tree of life gives eternal life to those who eat it. When you eat it, you will live forever. Can you eat it once and live forever? The tree of life is central to the city of God because it gives life. A city has no life unless there is a source of life that's in the city. So the tree of life in the city of God is the source; it's the central source of life. When God banished Adam and Eve from Eden, He commanded the cherubim to guard the gate or the entrance to both the city and access to the tree of life. When the angel with a flaming sword there, no one has, and no one in history of human race has gotten there. Everything we eat now is doom and death. We have no access to eternal life. Why do we need this life-giving tree? Lest he put forth his hand and take of the tree of life and eat and live forever. So even in the fallen state, Adam's fallen state, if he reach out, he get the food, he eats it, he live forever. So the purpose we need the tree of life. We need the fruit. We need to eat from the fruit of tree of life so that we would live forever. Unfortunately, we can't because there's now the angels there. There's we can't find it, and some of us don't even believe it. Even as I'm telling you today, I know some of you. This is a foreign concept to you. If you don't believe in something, you're not going to go find it. For example, I tell you there is a map hidden, and that map will lead you to the treasure. Now, if you don't believe me, you won't look for the map. 
But when you found the map, if you do believe me and you look for the map, you might not find it. But if you found it, you need to be able to figure out what it says. And not only that, after you figure out how to read the map, what do you need to do? The adventure begins. It's not easy. So your faith begins with listening to someone telling you that there is this tree, telling you that it is in a place, telling you that to get there, it's nearly impossible, but it's not totally impossible. It's possible. All you need to do begins with, do you believe? Will you engage your life in this quest? Will you seek to find it? The tree of life was in the garden that gives eternal life to its inhabitant. The Jerobims not only guarded the tree, but they prevented people from coming into the city itself. So the question is, how can you have access to the tree of life? The tree of life, we know that it's in Eden. We know that it's being guarded. And we also know in the last book of the Bible, turn back with me to Revelation chapter 22, and we read, Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates of the city. You can't have access to it. You have access to it by someone whose name is Alpha and Omega. Verse 13, I am Alpha and Omega. Who is Alpha and Omega? Jesus Christ. The beginning and the end. The tree was there and the tree is there and the tree is here. We can't get access to the tree because of God's decree. But we can have access to the tree because of God's love. Because God loved us, he sends Jesus, the Alpha, and now the Omega, to us. And Jesus is the tree of life. Jesus, the tree of life, personify Jesus Christ. The tree, it is stationary. But when Jesus Christ, the Alpha, becomes the Omega, the tree is now with us, Emmanuel, God with us. The tree is life-giving. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the life-giving tree, but he's not stationary. He's mobile. He came from heaven to us and walking among us, living among us, and living in us today through his spirit. So the tree is the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what he said. He said, if you do my commandments, and now your Bible version will say this, they that wash their clothes. But what does it mean if your Bible says, by washing your clothes? There is a decorum an appearance. The king invites the guests to come into his house. And the guests came into his house and there was a man who came into the feast not wearing the right kind of clothes. What happened to that man? He got bound up, hands and feet, and thrown out into the outer darkness. When you enter into the city, you need to dress and act and behave as citizens of the country. You need to agree on a set of principles that the city and its inhabitants all adheres to. Because there is any good city, we have laws and order, and there are adherences that we need to conform to. And one of those things is, in the city of God, everyone keep themselves clean. Everyone has a personal responsibility to how they act and behave. God does not bind you into the state where you will act and behave forcefully. He won't. What he will do is he motivate you to act and behave becomingly, meaning according to how the city and its inhabitants live and behave. 
He doesn't make you to be a certain way. He wants to motivate you by his love, by his affection, by his sacrifice, by his words. And we change not because we are forced to, we change because we want to. That is the city that I want to live. I don't want to go into the city where everything is in a certain way. I cannot behave and do what I want to do because I might get punished. The city of God is a place where everyone is free. And in their freedom, they act for the benefit of other people. They love and they, they truly care and love for each other and not because they were forced to. That is the city that I want to live. And Jesus says this, they that keep themselves holy, they that obey. Now, how do you keep yourself holy? If you have kids and if your kids are, you know, well, can walk and maybe read and press buttons, and what you're going to do is you will teach them to wash their own clothes. And there is an instruction on how to do it. Otherwise, you might find your kid tumbling inside the dryer if they don't know how to operate one. There is an instruction. There is a, a rule. Okay, so first, you put the clothes in, not getting yourself inside, and then close the lid and press the button. So on, so on. You got to put some detergent in there, maybe, and you know, after it's done. So there's direction. There are instructions on how we ought to wash ourselves. And the commandment of the Lord Jesus Christ is how we ought to conduct and live our lives. The way that you have access to the tree of life is to keep God's commandment, to keep yourself unspotted from the world, that ye shine like light amidst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as. How do you keep God's command? Are Christian not saved by faith alone? Why do we have to do something to be saved? Romans 3, 28. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. You are saved by faith alone, not because what you have done in accordance to the deeds of the law. It means that God, in his infinite mercy and love, he looked at you and he says, I will save you. And you say, but I'm a sinner. And that's why you need to be saved, God will say. But look at the person over there. That person deserves to be saved more than I do. And God says, then that person doesn't need to be saved. God saves because God is sovereign. No one here can judge why does God save that person and not that person. It is because God's sovereignty and it's because God's decree and his election and he saves. And that's it. And when he saved, you are saved. And then you say, well, if I'm saved, then I don't have to do anything, right? Then I would ask whether your salvation is genuine, is true. Because the apostle James, also in the Bible, says, show me a man who has work and I'll show you a man who has faith. Salvation is our faith, but faith produces work. The outcome of faith is work. If you believe, then you will go find that map. If you don't believe, then you just live your way the way that you were prior to your faith. Isn't that true? But if you believe that the map to the tree of life is here, then why would you not investigate spending your time and study and finding out how to get there? The Lord Jesus says, I will give you. And Jesus says, if you hear my voice and obey, then you will have eternal life. Faith is the outcome of God's grace to you. God's given you grace so that you can believe. And when you believe, the outcome of faith is what you do, your work. So you are justified, true, by faith, but faith will produce work. Faith is what leads us to believe that Jesus Christ and what he said is true. And if you believe Jesus Christ and what he said is true, then by all means, do it. Obey his commandment. Wash your clothes. Keep yourself unspotted from the world. Harmless and blameless, the Son of God without rebuke. 
That's what Jesus Christ wants us to live. And if we believe in Jesus Christ, well, live your life that way. The cherubims makes it impossible for you to enter the city. But see, this is what Jesus Christ says. Jesus Christ says, I'll give you access. When you get to the cherubims who are at the gate, they will let you through. Who has the authority? When Jesus Christ died, was crucified, died, was buried, and when he resurrected again, this is what he said. All authority in heaven, on earth, and under the earth has been given to me. Jesus commands all authority in heaven, in earth, and under the earth. There is no authority that is over Jesus Christ. So when he says, angel, step aside, these are my people. These are the ones that my blood has bought. Let them through. The cherubims and their flaming swords will move aside and allow you to enter the city. Unless you obey Jesus Christ, unless you put on the armor of God, unless you put on the garment of praise, then you are not prepared to enter the city. You don't have the faith that causes you. How did Abraham prove his faith to God? By obeying God and sacrifice Isaac. Did he not? How did the harlot Rahab demonstrate her faith? By putting the scarlet string on her doorpost. The, the faith, if you say you believe, then you need to demonstrate. How did the Israelites escape the angel of death? They killed the sacrifice and put the blood on the doorpost. There is a, a reciprocal component to faith, and that is work. James says, without work, faith is dead. So faith and works, it goes together. Faith comes first, of course, but works comes after. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God has always been God's gift. It's not because of your effort that you can't find it. You won't be able to find it. And even if you do, you can't get in there. It is the gift of God that he's given you. I'll give you the map there. I'll give you the key. You get to the place of the entrance. You might find it, but there's no way you can get in. You need to have the key. Jesus says, I'll give you the key. But you need to fight the dragon to get to that door. And you need to put the key in there. You need to figure out how the key fits in there. If you can't figure out how, how the key works, you can't get in. Jesus says, I'll give you all of that. Would you listen? Would you obey? Would you follow instruction? That's what commandment is. Okay. So true faith is motivated by love. John chapter 14, verse 23. Or oh, if a man love me, he will keep my words. If you love Jesus Christ, then you will keep his commandment. Love comes as a result of your faith in Jesus Christ. When you love someone, you believe that person. Would you? A lot of you have parents tell you innumerable lies, yet you still believe them. Why? You love them. Love sees no wrong. You think that they are lies, it's because you don't understand yet. But still, if a child is motivated by love, he will disregard the lack of understanding and just trust the parent means the best for them. That's the relationship between love and faith. True faith is motivated by love to keep Jesus' commandment. You keep God's commandment. You keep Christ's commandment because you love him, not because you're forced to, because you, you want to. If a man loved me, he would keep my commandment. To him that overcometh, I would give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Revelation 2, 7. Jesus says, if you keep his commandment, if you love him, if you keep his commandment, he will give you the fruit of the tree of life. 
Jesus Christ is the person who has access, authority, and he is this tree of life who gives you the fruit that you can eat. For every race that you run, what motivated you to run the race? Is it the medal that you receive at the end? No. That's just part of the race. It's just the completion of the race. What's motivated you to run the race is because you enjoy running the race. You enjoy the competition. You enjoy the process. That's what it means to run the race. And the added reward at the end, the medal, is just a nice touch in the end. We want to eat from this tree of life not because the tree is so delicious, but because we want to attain to eternal life. We enjoy this race. Paul says, I run with all my might so that I may attain not the crown, but Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. We run this race. We want to find this tree of life because we enjoy the process. We love the process. Now, eating from the tree is just a nice touch in the end. And you will live forever so that you engage yourself in many more adventures. The only thing that I will miss when I die is the fact that I no longer live in the flesh. But living means nothing if I do nothing. Living means everything if you engage in the fullness of your life. What are the commands? I'll give you four main ones. What did Jesus Christ commanded us to do? Number one, love. John chapter 15, verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Number one, the highest, the number one commandment that God has ordained when the scribes came to Jesus and asked, Master, what is the greatest commandment of Moses? And Jesus replied, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is God and the Lord is one. Love the Lord with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. Love is the first commandment. Love is what we should pursue first and foremost. Love is the essence of being a Christian, of being a child of God, because God is love. And if we don't love, we are not a child of God. So love is the first commandment, the greatest commandment. All the laws and the prophets comes down to love your neighbor as yourself. But that is secondary to love the Lord your God with all your heart or your soul or your mind. Second, baptism. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Baptism is the second commandment. All Christians have been baptized. If you're not baptized, you're not part of the church of Jesus Christ. So baptism is the commandment that Jesus ordained and we should do. And most of us here have been baptized. Some of us should be baptized. If you have not been baptized, this commandment is foremost. Why baptism is important. First of all, it is one of the two ordinances that God has given to the church and it's the first one, and that is baptism. Now, in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, when they gladly received the word, was baptized. This is after Peter preached the message. When people heard Peter's message, they received the word, and the response to receiving the word is baptism. They were baptized. And the same day, there were added to them about 3,000 souls. So the church in the beginning, the church throughout millennia, did the same thing. They believe and they were baptized. They obey the commands of the Lord Jesus Christ. The third thing is communion. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four. And when he hath given thanks, he break it and said, Take it, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do. Now, notice, this do 
in remembrance of me. Communion is how we partake of the Lord's body. The presence of the Lord, the presence of God is here with us when we partake in communion. Our church have communion every first Sunday of the month. The body, the unity of the body is how we come together at communion to share in one. The Lord Jesus Christ presents himself in the middle of our coming together, our unity, coming together and be one in the Lord. When you are baptized, we are commanded to receive communion. When we come together and receive communion, think about the presence of Jesus Christ here with us. This is how we eat of the fruit of the tree of life. The tree of life is not something in the future. The tree of life is here and now. When we partake of the bread and of the cup, by faith we are partaking the Lord Jesus Christ and that is the fruit of the tree of life. If you don't partake in communion, you're not eating from the tree of life. The body and the bread is the Lord Jesus Christ. Lastly, evangelism. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. And the command, Jesus says, Go. Do this in remembrance of me, and then go into all the world. Preach the gospel. Christ's command was explicit. He said, Go into the world and preach the gospel to all creatures. We must learn our gospel. We must learn what's here. We must learn practice to disseminate this information to others. And we must preach the gospel. Be the oracle of God. What we say reflects in what we believe. And evangelism is command, is the last, the final command that Jesus Christ gave to the church. So finding the tree of life is to obey Christ's command to keep yourself unspotted from the world, holy and acceptable to God, so that you and I, we may be the light of this world. An old light that you have, you pull it out from your garage, and it's all filthy. You can turn it on. The brightness of that light is not going to be good. So what do you have to do? You need to clean it. You scrub off all the dirt, the grime, so that the light inside can shine. As Christians, the life of Jesus Christ is in us. Now, if, we, if our garments are filthy and dirty, the light of Jesus Christ cannot be shown because people look at us and they say, you're a Christian? Wait a minute. What are you doing? Why do you say those things? Why do you behave like that? Why would you do these things? Aren't you supposed to be at church? Why are you here? We not only bear God's light, but we bear his name. And our responsibility in keeping Christ's command is to keep our vessels clean and clear so that the light of Jesus Christ may shone through us. What you do, either glorify God's name or Jesus' name, or what you do may defile God's name in the eyes of those who watches you. They might not say anything, but they will say this, hey, if he doesn't care about the church, why should I? If he doesn't care about his God, why should I? They might not say it to you, but they think that way. Your children too. Your sisters, your brothers, your siblings, they say, hey, if this person doesn't care, if they sit in the church and they do other things, or if they don't bother to come to church, then why should I? If we obey God's command, the light shines through you. But if you don't, then you defile God's name. Let us be aware of what we do and how we behave and how we act. Our pursuit is the message. The Apostle Paul says, we are the gospel of Jesus Christ written in our hearts. Our behavior, our acts, our duties, what we say, what we do is the gospel. And then when you do, the gospel will truly be living and expounding from you. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy, for the word that has shown in these unworthy vessels and yet you deem it is necessary for us 
to become sanctified, so you sent your spirit to sanctify us, our minds, our heart, our actions, so that you would be glorified through us. May each of us, Lord, obey, not just in words, but the things that we do reflect your will and your glory. And may the name of Jesus Christ be glorified in our midst and in the people and the surrounding souls that observe and watch and interact with us. We see the light of Jesus Christ in us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.